Hey, everybody. It's us again recording another episode of what we, I think, are calling our burgeoning Why It Matters series. Uh, we're definitely putting Wait, this We're calling it Why It Matters? When did that start? Uh, in every single title card that I've put on these things from the start. I've been reading <laughs> the title cards. You just named it Why It Matters. Actually, I'm frustrated because it works. So I can't really push back on it. So I think that might stick. There we I go. Just want to say that was a non-collaborative. When you say we, that does not include anybody but you. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there so everybody knows that. In the All spirit right, so. of putting the plane together as we fly it, uh, I've also now got branding. So this is going to emerge. We're, you know, and it's just great to be here today. So Tim, I'm going to turn it over to you to introduce our vlogging guest today for Why It Matters. Thank you. And I actually do really like that name as much as that annoys me on the process. Um, I am so excited to introduce someone that I've now known for a year. Uh, Kate Daniels and I met uh, at NetHope last year in Puerto Rico and um, honestly felt like I had found my long lost twin sister. We've stayed in touch over the last year. Um, every conversation is uh, just ignites a lot of curiosity and there's a lot of passion in the work that we are doing. Um, and so it is, it is uh, a great honor to introduce uh, my twin sister, not really, but uh, my twin sister, Kate Daniels. Welcome to the show. Well, look at that pomp and circumstance. What a way to enter a room. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, nice to be here. What an exciting thing to do on a Friday. It's a, it's, you know, um, a very interesting time uh, for all of us. And I think what a great time to, to rally around and talk about IT and, and the nonprofit community and what we're all doing. So I come at this uh, perhaps somewhat uniquely having spent the last 15 years almost equally divided between international development work in the context of international NGOs and then um, international corporate social responsibility uh, and, and philanthropy work. So I started my career uh, in South Africa in 2005 in a rural township managing a program for orphans and vulnerable children with a, a Dutch South African nonprofit. Um, As one does. Right. <laughs> the right, dusty yeah. streets of the township. Right. Yeah, there we go. Right? I kind of got lost between 20 and 25, you know, kind of in my own world. And then it sounds like you actually did something useful in that era. So like, yeah. Well, had I not flung myself over to Sub-Saharan Africa, I surely would have been in a gutter somewhere. So it's, it's good I put myself to good use. That's 20 to 25 right there. Great. Yeah. So, you know, and it was it was a great way to start my career. Right. You're learning uh, Afrikaans by night and learning Zulu and Northern Sutu by day. Um, it was a beautiful way to kind of find my feet as a professional. Uh, and it also put me in, the, in front of the world of donors. Right. It was, you know, the Royal Netherlands Embassy and UNICEF and all of these uh, very interesting the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund was involved. So that was a great way to start off. Um, and uh, so did that for three years, then went to Habitat for Humanity International and worked in the Africa and Middle East area office for the next few years. And that really put me in the world of bilaterals. So it was USAID grants and DFID and Irish aid and CEDA, both CEDA Canada and CEDA Sweden. And, uh, and really, you know, in, in that kind of larger sense of international NGO work, how we collaborate with other international NGOs. Um, and it was very much from a program management and m and &E standpoint. 
And, you know, in 2009, I read Dumbi Samoyo's book, Dead Aid, and mm -hmm. I started to feel very disillusioned with the aid sector, right? I started to think, what is this that I'm part of? And is this, is this achieving the aims for which it's uh, put in place? And I started to feel that it wasn't. Um, so I shifted wholeheartedly in early 2010 to a for-profit forestry company headquartered in Johannesburg with plantations in Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, and Mozambique. Um, and that put me in front of uh, in, international investors. So it was impact investors, private equity, private debt. It was translating how we get business done on the ground in a rural East African context to you know, the ears of central London dwelling bankers, you know, masters of the universe. And that was an interesting thing to do. Um, so I did that for the next five years, then went to business school in Johannesburg. And then uh, like many business school grads became a consultant, but my consulting was in the area of impact investment and environmental social governance or ESG. And then, you know, at 37, I thought if I don't move back to the state soon, I never will. And mm. um, so, so I, I was pulled back uh, a few years ago. And then since I came back, I've been working with Oracle NetSuite and almost exclusively on the social impact team, thinking about um, how our technology feeds into the needs of international NGOs and other types of nonprofits domestically, um, and then leading our relationships with others in the com community. So that includes NetHope and Humentum and TechSoup and groups like that. It turns so out I know by it's the kind way, of a bland, you know, a bland CV yeah. that you've got. It sounds like you're looking to do some stuff in the future because you haven't really launched yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, yeah. this is like we're talking about one lifetime, right? Like you're not like talking about three reincarnations or something. Like that's just an incredible <laughs> amount of variety. Just it's what happens if you don't have a plan when you literally just go with your gut. So that's my advice to young people. I talk to 20 somethings all the time who are like, Ooh, how did you do this or that? And I'm like, Oh, do the next thing that sounds most interesting. Yeah. And it turns out, by the way, I've met a lot of people through the years on the Oracle NetSuite, well, formerly NetSuite, now, you know, Oracle NetSuite impact team. So, uh, David Geilheim yeah, and I go all the way back to, you know, Nonprofit Tech Conference 2008 kind of era. Uh, Steve Hay, uh, yeah. same kind of area. Trisha Fitzgerald and I worked together for you know about a year and a half, uh, two years at uh, Heller Consulting. So somehow I knew and met all of these people, but I never actually met you in the context of there. So that's kind of fun. It is fun, and, and I'll say, David, like closing the loop. Yeah. And David Galhufa is still a dear friend. He's since moved on and is now yep. leading another nonprofit, but he's, uh, he was really the one who I kind of, uh, I studied under and, and whose tutelage I, I benefited from when I first came into the tech for social impact world. Yeah. Um, thanks for that background. Um, I feel like there is like a buffet of topics to pick from next here. Um, and, and so just to start into one, has your, has your view of that international aid shifted since 2009? Um, you know, has that morphed into a, a different view or where, what, how, how do you feel about that nowadays? You know, I think consciousness becomes kind of a pendulum, 
uh, for some of us and about certain subjects. And I certainly think that I needed to start my career getting really deep into development and really believing in it wholeheartedly and believing in all of the language and the context of, of international aid. And then I needed to be broken of that. I needed, I needed to be shaken free of it and, and, and sort of distance myself. It's like we only uh, build our identity by that which we are not. So, so, there's so there was something important about distancing myself from that world of aid and, and being very much in the for-profit sector for several years, for eight years, and then coming kind of back to it in a, in, a, in a very different context. You know, today I approach the world of international development from the context of, of IT and the context of digital transformation and how um, technology can reorient not only the, the efficacy of aid work, but the coordination of aid work. And that means coordination between aid uh, actors or international NGOs, but also coordination between the public and private sector. So my view is now less that aid is uh, a big problem and it's, it's ruining the world and it's undermining the countries um, to which it's sent. And my view is more now a little bit more nuanced that you know, an aid model is as good as uh, the coordination between its actors, and it's as good as the quality and, and the veracity of thought and the, the interrogation of the model um, of all of those who are contributing to it. You know, that there's, there's good models and there's bad models. There's, there's really good examples of international development work, and there are, you know, shockingly you know, ridiculous wastes of time and, and resources. And I think we all want to be part of uh, a model that works. So that's really my focus now. It's like, how can I, from the private sector side, bring <clears throat> what I know and what I think and, and the partners I work with into a space where we solve problems together in a way that's efficient and effective and, and, and um, responsible and, and, remain, and, and ensures we remain good stewards of resources. Yeah. What I personally know about like the international aid ecosystem, I, I think could really fill a thimble. I, 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 I've always viewed it personally through the lens of like one of the biggest challenges has been infrastructure. Uh, and I actually connect it to, believe it or not, an episode of West Wing where like it's the very end of the show and CJ Craig is leaving and she has this offer to do something with millions and millions and millions of dollars. And she's like, we need to freaking build roads. Um, and, and I'm gonna connect that to something that I have many more thimblefuls of knowledge and that is technology as an infrastructure for nonprofits. Um, because you know, an older version of me was a version that would get up in front of like a bunch of funders and at, at nonprofit tech conferences and literally just be like, if you're not funding technology as an infrastructure and not thinking of it that way, like you are irresponsible, you are irresponsible. And it is as important as HR and finance and legal and everything else. But like now the 2020 version of myself says, this is a challenge that can only be solved not only by putting the right people in the right rooms, but the right actors in the right mm -hmm. rooms. And mm -hmm. that to me connects to how I first experienced you. And that was this year's NetHope, the, the digital NetHope that did not involve boats and sailing and fruity drinks and sunshine, um, but was very sunshiny. Uh, and something that you said at NetHope really resonated with me, and that was looking at, as a large platform company, looking at technology from the perspective of how a nonprofit looks 
into that, not from the perspective of how the company looks outward, but how a nonprofit looks into that world. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that in terms of like strategies that you are working on, that others are working on that have enabled a shift in that lens from I am a company that's just happening to sell my stuff or to nonprofits to I'm a company looking at what I'm doing from the lens of nonprofits looking inward at me. Um, I think that if you had asked us a year ago uh, whether we would be participating in the common data model for nonprofits, the answer would have been no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> A polite and dignified bow out of that particular conversation. And that's largely, oh yes, and here we have in front of us the it's common data model. super high-tech prop vehicle. Uh, I, I think I just friend. do that to make Tim laugh. <laughs> Yeah, I think so much of um, the problem with technology companies is that we fall in love with our product and we think that our product is it, right? If a, if a nonprofit buys what, we've, what we're selling, things are going to become easier. Things are going to become streamlined. Just trust us. Just go with it. Just come, come along with us. And the reality is that nonprofits are, in particular in the international NGO sector, are quite savvy and are quite... I would argue are held to a much higher standard than your average for-profit company, right? There's there's not just this focus on the PL. You have to focus as an, as a leader of an international NGO on multiple donors who need reporting in, in multiple different ways. You have to focus on um, your communities and how they receive and, and filter information. You have to focus on the multiple countries in which you're working, compliance with country culture and country business uh, regulations. You have to... Um, report to you know a, a sort of multidisciplinary uh, universe of stakeholders and that is not that those kinds of challenges are not solved by one product and and frankly none of us in the tech sector and I'll say none of us do everything it's just not mm -hmm. possible right it's just not it's not also how a business works you when, you when you run a business you you focus on something you specialize in something at netsuite we specialize in nonprofit financials and erp right if you're a manufacturing company or a wholesale distribution company you do want to have netsuite because it's a really strong erp system if you're you're struggling with your financial reporting or if you want to operate in a multilingual multi-currency multi-tax jurisdiction environment then our financial management software is going to be the way but you know, in this last year, what we had to reckon with and take time to recognize is that it doesn't do everything. We are not a monitoring and evaluation tool. We are not an impact measurement tool. And the sooner you as a company can sit in the truth of that and recognize what you do really well, as well as your gaps and what you just don't do at all, the sooner you can, you can start to form the right room or the right team around you. We are only as good as you know the people that we're we're shoulder to shoulder with, and the and in this in this context, the, the products with which we are shoulder to shoulder. So when we started thinking a little bit more about how do we link the information you can derive from NetSuite to the information you need in a monitoring evaluation system, we had to think more in terms of integrations and in connectivity of data. And what happened roughly midway through the last year was that both Microsoft and Oracle NetSuite were approached by a couple of common customers who said, mm -hmm. we would like to be mapped to the common data model. 
And that truly was the the kind of origin point. That was that was the moment that had us start to think, well, you know, if we want to delight our customers, which is one of our strategic priorities as a co company, once we've sold NetSuite, it's not done. We, we now need to delight customers. If we truly want to honor that promise, then we need to think about how our product interacts with other products. And we need to think about if, if our customers are asking for this, they're not going to be the only ones and it's not going to end there. So it will behoove us to ensure we get in line and, and that we structure data integration and, and coordination in a way that can be replicated for other customers in the future. So it was the Salvation Army who came to us and asked this question and that's what really got us talking. And then, and then it's like all other parts of life, you get on the phone with other like-minded people and like-oriented professionals from another company and you think, okay, we've got something here. We're all approaching this from the same vantage point. We all wanna solve a problem. And that's yeah. when it goes from thinking about how great NetSuite is to thinking about how NetSuite can be part of a solution, not the solution, but part of one. And I think that that, you know, I hope I'm getting to the, uh, to, to the point of your question, which is that was really where our head started to shift around yeah. uh, and stop focusing on our data model and start focusing on what's the data model that most of our uh, prospects and customers want to use and how do we fit in with that? That makes sense. Uh, I have one follow-up One follow up on that. And that is, you know, I, I actually have two, but I'm going to save my second follow-up for later on. Uh, the first one though is at any point during all of those discussions, and, and I will totally respect it if you say, no, I can't answer this. Did somebody stand up inside and say, wait a sec, we're, we're, we're NetSuite, we're ERP, we're gonna to try to connect to this common data model and map all of our stuff over to it. Are we worried that once we go there, our customers are now using a competitor platform and they might like see, I don't know, Microsoft FNO and be like, why bother with this NetSuite stuff when we can just have it all on the Microsoft tech stack? Did anybody bring that up or do you view this as an opportunity to better articulate, and I'm going to lead the witness here, uh, you know, better articulate your value prop as a product. Both and. Both and? So, yes, the answer is yes. People from inside said, oh, stop this train. What are we doing? Why? What are we even talking about? We, we compete with Microsoft on many deals. We know when we're in the in a competitive deal who the other competitors are. And it's often the case that Microsoft is in the mix. So sure. what are we thinking about aligning ourselves with them, especially because they have a broader infrastructure, right? They've, they've got a lot of, of other types of tools they bring to bear. They're a bigger company. Um, than NetSuite as a, as a product. And I think, you know, th that resistance is also just responsible. I, I would be shocked if an executive, uh, in particular sales executives in a, in a for-profit <laughs> technology company didn't raise the red flag yep. and say, what are we doing? And at the end of the day, to be honest, Tracy, it was companies are driven by commercial interests for sure. Let's, let's not delude ourselves. But I think the beauty in this is that it, when you think in terms of kind of enlightened self-interest, by solving the problem as part of a broader solution and by being part of a, a more collaborative effort, we actually position ourselves to be stronger commercially. We, we position mm -hmm. ourselves to be selected because we're part of a, a team of technology companies that, that's thinking about problem solving instead of thinking about how do we entice you with our product. 
So in the end, yes, commercial interests um, did win as they always will in the context of a for-profit technology company. But I think it took a little bit of re reorienting the question, right? Yeah, it's it's a risk to align ourselves with a customer, with a competitor. But is the risk greater to not do it, or is the risk greater to do it? And and yeah, in the end, yeah. we decided it was riskier and and more. Um, uh, it would more undermine our ultimate interest to be part of this community to not engage with the common data model. Yeah, um, we've been having a lot of conversation. Um, on on this show and and with partners and customers about there is a shift in the environment of technology that didn't exist before where and I don't know when it happened but it's some in, in the past it was full stack option like reporting is really challenging if you aren't you know and so it was an or platform world you know yeah. you're either you know, BlackBot or Salesforce or NetSuite. And there is just a big or, and a lot of our job as an SI partner is to figure out which one to go with. And over the last year, and the language for it at NetHope was interoperability last year. And this year, the language for it was CDM, just completely yeah. rewritten into CDM. And the language for it now, I think is an and world. Like I'm calling, I'm calling the and times just because like hearkening back to my my religious roots there, but um, the I think that it's not it's not just a shift in perspective. There's actually a shift in what technology technology can do now that did not exist before, um, and some of that is I think uh, a spirit of collaboration. No no disagreement there, but I just think the tools for a CDM exist in a way that we're now ready for and we weren't before. Um, and so I'm, I'm mostly saying that as a statement, I'm curious if you agree or not. Yeah, I, th I think nothing is accidental in terms of the evolution of our consciousness around all of this, right? We, it's kind of like I needed to break from aid in order to come back to aid. We kind of need to burrow in and create our respective little camps and really establish our identities and figure out who we are as companies or as products in order to then get to that next stage of evolution, which is coming together and operating in a way that's more collaborative. And, and, and so I, I agree with you. I think you're, it is more today an and conversation, which by the way, I love your blog post. I strongly recommend it to anybody to, to read that. It's, you know, the and times, uh, which I thought was very clever, but also the, the timing is not accidental. We couldn't have had this conversation a year, three years, five years ago, because there wasn't just, there wasn't enough uh, awareness on the part of each of these products that are now getting together in the common data model. There, there wasn't enough consciousness of who we are and what we're great at and what, where we lack. We were too busy establishing our identities, too busy telling you how great we are and figuring out where we really knock it out of the park and where we still have much to learn. It's only now in this time that we can kind of um, humble ourselves and, and own our shortcomings and own the places where we need the partnership with another technology company. And, you know, I think all of this, again, timing is no accident. It's not accidental that we find ourselves in this moment while also in the context of a global pandemic. And while also as a country reckoning with our very tainted past around race relations, it's not an accident that in this moment, there is this, this need to 
consciously and intentionally step forward toward our competitors and toward others in the community with whom we can create something bigger and better. And I'll tell you, when I, when I got the mail from Microsoft about the Salvation Army making this request, it was, what was it, April? March, April. And I'll tell you, I've, I was feeling lonely. I was at home working. We're all working from home and I work from home anyway, but you certainly, we weren't traveling anymore. We weren't seeing people. We yeah. weren't yeah. hands. I remember that. Right? And there was a feeling like, <laughs> hey, sure, Eric Arnold, you want to do something together? Yes. And there was, yeah. that timing cannot be um, extracted from the sentiment that that we responded with. It, it, the timing meant something. Kate, you're, you're saying something that deeply resonates with me. I, I will be totally forthright and say, sometimes accidentally, but frequently strategically, just because of who we are, Tim and I managed to pull off sort of a good cop, bad cop routine in the sort of greater world, uh, you know, in, in the socials and on the Twitters with the Facebooks and whatever new blah, blah is going on. And, you know, one of the things that, I've always felt is true. It's that we invest a great deal of our own sense of self-awareness and identity and ego in our work. And therefore work in a lot of ways becomes a replacement for these greater spiritual values. And if you look at how that sort of becomes over time, what it means is that when, when we're looking introspectively at ourselves, that introspection, as you've just described, really can drive a very sort of egocentric and a very sort of unaware perspective of our own actions. And what I love about what you just said is it kind of validates my personal hypothesis that there needs to be some sense of self-awareness and sense of setting aside ego and that desire to save everything in our world, which by the way, connects directly to one of the problems in our society. And that is that like white savior complex, you know, particularly in response to the kinds of moments that we've had this year. Uh, and not being a white savior means exactly setting aside ego and being self-aware enough to say like, I might have thoughts and opinions, but I don't have solutions. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's the difference between um, asserting that I have my pri privilege because I've earned it and it's mine and I'm going to shake it versus I get that I have all sorts of unearned privilege that I did nothing to accumulate, nothing to build. And I get that I'm in a world where for whatever reason that privilege is, is elevated or, or uh, rewarded. So I'm going to, I'm going to be intentional about how I use it. I'm going to be intentional yeah. about making it serve the vision of the world I want to live in. Yep. Yeah, seeing and privilege that, as an asset instead yeah. of something to, uh, you know, like an asset is something you own until we own our privilege is not an asset, right? So um, I just think that that, I, I completely agree with that. If you had, when you got that email, if you had said, thanks, but no thanks, um, how would that world look different from the world that you're in today? Yeah, the uh, the pitfalls of the foregone option, <laughs> you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we said, I mean, part of what I'm getting yeah. at here, Kate, is yeah. how much work was it actually? Like yeah. the actual, like being part of the CDM is two things. It is a leadership strategy decision, hmm. and then it is a it is a series of technical, you know, uh, decisions as well. 
Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, one, you've talked about the hurdle on one side. I'm also curious about what the, what the other hurdle was and, you know, where you'd be if you hadn't taken either of those. Does that make sense? It's a great question. And it's very spot on as far as how our, how we've experienced the last, you know, half a year. And I'll, I'll, I'll answer that from, from this perspective, when you pivot in, in halfway through a fiscal year, for example, or, you know, just in the, in the midst of things, um, you don't have people who are allocated to do that new thing. You haven't created yes, a position. That's right. You, right? There's no, there's no resourcing. You have to add it to the rolling list of requests for resources and pray to the gods and you get it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I owe a lot of people, a lot of favors. I'll tell you that right now, because what this meant for us was Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to map to the common data model. First of all, I didn't even know what that word meant, mapping to a model. Like, I, I imagine that's a technological process in which our data marries with other data. But I'm a, you know, I'm a externally facing partnerships person. I'm not a solutions consultant. So that meant I had to turn around into my organization and say, who has the skill set to do this? Who has the orientation towards social impact and the nonprofit vertical such that they get it and they understand the value of this mapping. And also who will be kind and gracious enough to give up their time, which is already packed with other things in their day job to add on this, this deliverable and this piece. And, you know, I, I will say, I, I mean, when I, when I say I owe a lot of people favors, I mean, you know, there are apple pies in route to um, a couple of my colleagues who have given of their time and, and who are going to do the technical pieces of the mapping of NetSuite to the, the common data model. And, um, yeah, this is maybe a flubbed way of answering that question, but I think it's a, it's an important question because when you change course, which is so important, right? We, we have to be able to change course in medias res. We have, we have to be able to say, stop what we're doing. This is a lost cause, or this is not the right direction. Let's move direction to, you know, in a 90 degree uh, about face or, you know, in, in a shift. But at that point, there's no one allocated to do the work. There's no one whose job it is to do this new thing we've decided to do. So, um, yeah, so that I would say, you know, in short, it was a process of going internally at NetSuite, finding out who has the skills, the knowledge, the know-how, the background, and the, the inclination to help out with this project, and then using their time as efficiently as possible. And then my role is, you know, just to kind of keep pushing us along and getting us all on calls and keep the conversation going. Um, but uh, it tends to be a thing. It's like the Google, you know, whatever, 20% of your time is spent on this other thing. This is another thing. And my hope is that, you know, at, at the end of it, when, when we're mapped and we've got a, a solution to provide and something to talk about, that then I'll be able to advocate to have more resources um, directed for this, this work. Yeah. I, That's a really, I, wow. I just want to say yeah. you have my immeasurable compassion. Uh, yeah. Some of my time at Salesforce, I was doing highly technical, cross-functional, unresourced work. <laughs> and like, I know what that looks like and how that feels. And you're always on the phone and it feels like you're always horse trading. And it feels like, come on, man, if you can just give me five minutes, five minutes, you know, like, so wow. <laughs> Unbelievable that you got that done and congrats. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's helpful for me to hear that because I've never worked for a large organization, like monolithic, you know, yeah. brand like, like you all have. Um, and so for me, pivots are a decision away, right? <laughs> um, you know, and they tend to be, should we do it? Is there cash, right? Uh, like that is just so much 
uh, it's microscopic in 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 the difference on how my company changes. You're, you're Sorry, I'm laughing at that. You told totally... me. I, I, I will tell Kate in a sec when you're done. I have to share this with her. And, but no, it's so helpful to see that you can't, like a mid-year pivot actually isn't resourced. But I also want to say what that means is that you still got it done with, with spare resources that people opted into which means that the level of lift was doable on a pivot. Um, And and so, uh, you know, and I think that that's an important point because my guess is that of the two, the technical and permission, the technical is easier than the permission side. Um, And I'm, I'm curious if that's right or not, or were they both just like uphill battles and both really challenging? Um, What's the, what was the ratio on that? First sentence that comes to mind is know your audience. So when I'm talking to uh, sales leaders about a decision like this, the talk track is one of uh, financial uh, upside. And the, the, the talk track is the ways that doing this thing will make us more competitive and will um, feed our commercial interests. And then when I go to the technical people, let's be honest, most folks are doing their jobs in relative isolation, right? They're sitting in front of their computers and they're doing something very similar every day. So what's to stop us from making this something really cool and interesting and fun and different? Why not speak to nerds? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so great. Yeah, make it a cool thing. Like, hey, I get you do this day job and I get that you have to invest your time and energy there. But hey, you want to help me do this kind of covert, you know, backdoor yep. thing that's going to really solve problems oh, for some God. of the most important organizations in the world. So, Bravo. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's great. Doing I something like that, that looks like hacking. Oh, God, beautiful. Um, I, what was cracking me up earlier, by the way, is I've frequently described working inside the large corporate platform world as being in an Olympic sized pool and having a swim lane that's about two feet wide, which is just about a foot narrower than you really want to comfortably have. But like going back to, you know, a business the size of now it matters right now. Uh, it's been kind of the reverse where it's like, here's your Olympic pool. There are no lane guards, but if you want to get something done, uh, you the man, man, you hit. <laughs> like, yeah, pick, a, pick a direction and start swimming. And I'm like, but um, wait, where's my people for that? And there are no people for that. And, yeah, and it's just, it's great. It's opposite sides of a coin and both experiences are really great. And I feel like all of us should have them both at some point for, for all the reasons that you just articulated. Oh my gosh. You're I'm reminding me of something. Yeah, oh. go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Kate. I wanted to just say one thing about that. I, when you just said that about the swim lane, I, I, I just, you know, I kind of was nodding in furious uh, agreement because there is something so important about the difference between working for a big, well-resourced, well-organized anything. And I mean that about a big international NGO yeah. or a oh, big yeah. tech company, right? At Habitat, everybody had their job. It was all very clear. At, at Oracle NetSuite, it's very much, you are kind of microtized yeah. almost into your lane, into what you do. Whereas, you know, when I've worked at startups in the past, it's all hands on deck. You're doing That's everything right. from welcoming the investors to making tea. And you, you just better get on with it and find out where, where, where some, some effort is needed and put your effort there. So 
I think for those of us who respond to that kind of, um, you know, jack of all trades, all hands on deck environment, a big corporate can be quite stifling. I have been very lucky in that I have always, for, for whatever reason, found myself in a job at NetSuite that nobody's ever had before. The, the job at Social Impact yeah. Partnerships, that didn't exist before David Gailhufa established it, really. And then Matt Van Cleve, who's now at Salesforce, led right. that team forward. That's for right. I know Matt as well. Right. I, I knew right. everybody but you. Right. Well, I'm hiding in the distance trying to get this common data model thing happening. You're motivating nerds through like pseudo hacking projects. (laughs) Very busily in my own little devices. But there is something beautiful about having a position like that in a big company where I look around me and I know everybody else has a really strict, very prescribed way that their day is going to go. And for whatever reason, I've been lucky in that I haven't had a job like that. I've had jobs where I have great bosses who say, go for it. Do, do it. There's this thing we want to achieve. It's out there in the distance. Now figure out how we're going to get there. And that you know, it allows you to use your creativity and your innovation and all of the things that you come armed with from your experience in life. But I, I do think the point you just made is really important that so often in a big corporate, it is so microtized and so prescribed and so linear and so exact what you have to do, that sometimes you can get people to, to help you and get involved with what you're doing by, by dangling something over in the deep Freedom? Of yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, take That's off really interesting. <laughs> yeah, freedom? <laughs> right. I've got um, two other things I want to talk about um, mm-hmm. before we hop off the call. Um, one of them is, um, I want to talk about the future of the data model from the lens of, of brands and um, the, way, the way I see it, and I'm curious if this was your experience and how you see it as well. The way I see it is that there are, part, there are places that we will see brands competing with each other for sales. And I'm an economist, I think that's fine. I'm for that. I've never faulted any brands for selling software to nonprofits, I think that is actually fine and good, don't have a problem with it. What doesn't exist is a neutral space that is, non, that is non-competitive where we can also spend time talking about the state of the world and things that we are aligned on and are not competing on. And my main point on this is by having both competitive and a non-competitive space, we create a better future long-term. Like if you take those two models, one with a neutral space, one without, and you give them five years, the one with the neutral space will have created more impact than the one without it. Um, is that how you see it as well? Is that, uh, does that match your experience with the CDM? Yes, and I think both are needed. So I, I think mm-hmm. um, I agree with you. The neutral space is, is critical to allowing for dialogue and discussion and co, co-approaches to problems. But I love the tension. I think the tension between the room we enter where we're com- competitors and the room we enter where we're collaborators is so important because each of those things, even each of those states of being sharpen different tools in our toolbox, yep. right? When we have to go and compete with, a, with another company, we bring out other tools, right? We, we come armed with other types of, uh, you know, um, flags to raise and, and nuance to bring and um, points to bear. There, there's a lot that 
happens in a competitive environment that makes us stronger, faster, better. But there's also other things that we develop when we stop, when we put those tools away and we enter into a room with other competitors who have those tools in their boxes. And then we all sit down to solve a problem together. So I would say, absolutely, I agree that the neutral space is so important. Like what we do with the um, working groups in the NetHope community, right? So yep, yep. those are contexts in which we all come together. Unit 4, Salesforce, Microsoft, Oracle NetSuite, Box, Okta, Splunk, Twilio. We all come together into a room and we look at a problem we try to solve it using whatever we can. Um, so those spaces are necessary, but I think they're, they're actually made better by the fact that we also spend some of our time competing and we spend some of our time sharpening those other tools. Yeah. It's a bold, Can you yeah. say what you said about uh, entering rooms? I just love it and want to get it on. You said, yeah, you said to me something really, oh yes, here's how it happened. You said, um, it's great you guys were able to um, start talking to Microsoft and, and start thinking seriously about the Microsoft Common Data Model for Nonprofits, right? Which was the full name, the Microsoft Common Data no Model for Nonprofits. And um, weren't you worried about having your identity uh, altered or subsumed or enveloped in that context? And my thinking on that, and I mean this, I mean this as, for, as a company and I mean this as individuals, we change every room that we enter. We cannot help but change every room that we enter. Our energy and our force and our, our strength of will and character as we bring it into a new room absolutely changes the nature of dis the discourse in that room and it changes the energy field of that room. So in a lot of ways, I'm not worried about getting mapped to the, the common data model because yes, Microsoft threw the first pitch and yes, they ignited this model and I'm thankful, I'm grateful and I applaud them for that. But as we become mapped and as unit four becomes mapped and as other tech partners come on board, that model is no longer the Microsoft common data model. It's the common data model for nonprofits into which many different technology companies contribute and, and after which many organizations, many international NGOs will be able to benefit. And that's going to improve efficiency. It's going to facilitate efficacy. It's going to make things cheaper, faster, smarter, and allow leaders of nonprofits to do their work in a way that is more robust and allows them to be better stewards of donor funds. Um, so we're proud to change that room and we're proud to change you know, the DNA of the common data model by virtue of our contribution and by virtue of being part of it. Yeah. The, thank the, you. Thank you. Wow. The part of me that like makes my little heart go pitter patter is the part that says, as a consultant who was born and bred in this world, like, I want to stop having discussions with nonprofits about how are we going to migrate data? And I want to use that time and money instead to have discussions about how are we going to make you a better nonprofit, however your data looks. And, and, and this is the technical backbone for that in a way that, you know, we've all tried. And I was reminded we, we started trying this all the way back in 2003, uh, but this is now another attempt at that, and it is going to necessitate exactly what you just said, and that is, can we set aside who we think we are for the promise of who we can become when we work together? I, before you answer that, I want to also add into that same thing, that um, the Greeks had two words for time, chronos and kairos. 
Kronos is just the, the, the guards that guard the gates of hell. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's different. <laughs> I should have known. There's no way you could just leave it alone. Nope. But Kairos, Kairos is, it means the opportune moment. It is a moment that is, is like, this is a unique moment because of the opportunity. Based on what Tracy's saying about this has been tried before. Is this the Kairos moment where it's different? This, this has a different chance of working because it has been tried before. Um, why is this moment different? Is this moment different? Mm. Yeah, I think everything about 2020 is different. Uh, I think. Yeah. <laughs> For the record, we are recording on Friday, November 6th. Yeah. After yes. the longest election in the universe, it has felt like. Sorry, yeah. sidebar. This will come out. Modern. This is coming out sometime in December, so it's yeah, just worth right. noting that. <laughs> yeah, and we'll still all be locked indoors, I'm sure, at that point, <laughs> because you know I hate to get cynical, but yeah, there's no signs that this is abating or or that we're getting our hands around it. Um, yeah, the time matters. The timing is matter. It does matter. And I, you know, to, to that earlier point Tracy made about, you know, is it worth? I really like that idea. Is it worth giving up? A part of who you are now for who you can become is it is it worth sacrificing a little bit of our ego in the short term in order to manifest a greater version of ourselves in the long term and you know so much of what we say in this conversation and maybe it's just the depth of my uh my colleagues here but there's so much that we say that has absolute parallels between who we are and who, how we show up in the world and the companies that we represent and i think the same is true of both i think you know we all have to take a leap once in a while and decide to to put aside our ego or put aside the chance to be celebrated in the now in order to be um, instrumental in the future, in order to be a part of something bigger and much more interesting. And I think we're coming to terms with that. And I don't think that that's can any way be divorced from this moment in time, getting to your point, Tim, like why now? Well, I think that you know, as individuals and as companies, this has been a really hard year. There are multiple and countless companies that have gone under, right? We all know uh, mom and pop shops and private uh, institutions who've gone under. We know big international NGOs, partners and prospects and customers who've had to lay people off, who've had to reduce, who've had to kind of contract their operations in order to survive. So I think never before have we been so acutely aware of our own um, vulnerability. And, mm. you know, as we talk about the concept of vulnerability, it's, it's only in the last few years that, you know, the lovely Brene Brown has introduced the idea through research that this is actually a strength that, that you know, by being, being vulnerable and by owning your shortcomings and by owning your, um, your nakedness in the world, that is also an incredibly incredible uh, source of strength. It's a pool that we can derive incredible power from. And so as a company, <laughs> I think there's never been a moment where we are more aware of how lucky we are to have gone on, um, how well positioned we are in this market and how much better we can do in the future by linking up with other types of companies like ours. I, I just, you know, now is the time for collaboration. Now is the time for coordination writ large, right, for, for all of us as individuals, as communities. Um, we are on, you know, as, as, you, as you mentioned, Tracy, on the precipice of a, a very long, drawn out, heated political process, which will have an outcome at some point. And then what, 
right? Because then we're still a country full of people uh, that yeah. <laughs> that have to come back and get on with it, right? And get on with our jobs and our lives and our schools and our uh, everything. And um, to focus on um, conciliation, to, to focus on the bringing together, the reparation is, I think on a soul level and on a commercial level, a really important place to be an important place to invest your energy and your time. So the timing matters. And absolutely there is an element of foregoing, you know, the short-term ego in, in favor of the long-term value creation. Yeah. God, that's I, amazing. Wow. <laughs> I had a house so well in, in, in a neighborhood once and I shared a lawn with my neighbor uh, and for about half the time I lived in that house, we had this like tiny little like two foot fence that went across our shared lawn. And it was such a pain in the ass. Like I would mow the lawn and I could never get to the ratty grass that was in the fence and, and she would mow her lawn and she could never get to the ratty grass in the fence. I eventually thought I would solve the problem by buying technology. So I bought like a $200 like weed whacker and I was like, we're going to do this. And I wound up actually damaging the fence with the power of the weed whacker. And one day, like I was like looking at her and I was like, good Lord, it's not like we hate each other. Can we just get rid of this thing and agree that whoever mows the lawn will get to it first. And ever since that day, like what happened was, was when she mowed her lawn, she would do my side of the front lawn. When I mowed the front lawn, I would do her side of the front lawn and, and, and the whole yard looked better. Like I was reminded of that when you were just talking that and, and that's the world we want to see, you know, because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we still got to go to school with our neighbors and we still have to live in the, in the neighborhoods that we live in, you know. And you just named our episode. What? The whole lawn looks better. I love that. The whole yeah. lawn? Um, Katie, it has been such oh, a, as thank always, you. a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah. Uh, and thanks for your time and, and for the amazing work that you're doing um, and, and, continue to do and have done. So um, really appreciate it. Yeah. I guess we're uh, winding down. So I should do the, the traditional sort of end credits. You did it for me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank the you. The best deeply. thing I can say about myself is I keep great company and you two are an excellent team to talk with and be around. So thanks for having me. I'm very honored. Thank, Thank you, you. Kate. I'm Tim Lockie. I'm Tracy Kronzak, and you've been listening to Why It Matters. Why It Matters is a thought leadership project of Now It Matters, a strategic services firm offering advising and guiding to nonprofit and social impact organizations. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, check out our playlists, and visit us at nowitmatters.com to learn more about us.